Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Gold on the Barroom Network. I'm Salim Sitterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Trill Jr. Ed, how are you doing this fine Saturday? I am. Uh, start of the weekend. I'm great, man. We were just talking about a, a bunch of different basketball stuff. Uh, talking about like the game, one of the finals, and it's not looking good for your uh, your Jimmy Butler hopes right now, man. But uh, nice. I, I think it's still a victory that he made it this far, and I think he's. I mean, you have to say he's a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame at this point. But, uh, yeah, it's not looking good. It might be Nuggets and five at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if Miami keeps shooting like that and uh, Jimmy's ankle seems to be bad, it just, like, not to say that if those things were perfect that the Heat still wouldn't lose because obviously the Nuggets are just that good. Jokic is just that dude. But, yeah, it's it's tough, man. They're... uh, they're laboring, and it's – but like you said, I think just getting back to taking a team to the finals again that's as the eighth seed, as the eighth I mean, seed. I, mean it's I, I said I said last year he was a Hall of Famer. I thought he was going to get one. I mean, he's a, he's definitely a lock now. Getting two teams to that finals, um, he, he's definitely a lock for that. And we'll see how the rest of the playoffs go for sure. It's one of those uh, – I guess we'll see. Like, I mean, you know, Miami has – done weird things all postseason so maybe something different something changes game too but yeah. I don't think you know people keep it's funny people keep talking about the game plan for Jokic and what they can do and all those different things but like there's no game plan dude it's like uh, he's it's like they say, like, oh do we do we make him a score or do we make him a passer and Jokic is like yes I'll do both <laughs> it's yeah. like so what are you gonna do what are you gonna do the, yeah this, like, this Nuggets team is just too just just too sound all around, man. And it's just like we were talking about before the show, it, it's just interesting giving that um Tim Connolly left and you know, our own AK left, and now Calvin Booth is is the guy that's gonna reap the rewards of, of this build. And we you know, we, we joke about the continuity argument and stuff like that, but I mean it it, it worked for Denver, but they also have, you know, an all time great unique talent too to make that continuity thing work, but it's just been Denver's build has just been really interesting to follow over the years. Like they've been so close to like step by step getting there, and now they're they finally broke through, and now they're three games away from a championship, and they don't have to beat like a they don't have to beat an elite team in the East to do it, and they don't have to you know to get to the finals. They didn't have to go through the Warriors or someone like that. Like they had to go through a Lakers team that was getting was getting hot at the right time, but like. They're a really good team that caught like a few breaks too, 
So it, it's just like it, it's just great timing for them. Like it's just amazing. I mean, I'll say this: like they're they're they've just proven that they're the best team in the league. I yeah. mean, it's yeah, no, the, regardless yeah. of yeah. R- regardless of where you want to what breaks they've gotten, they're just flat out the best team in the league. Yeah, they're, I don't I don't think it would matter who they would face. Uh, you know, in this, in this league, in the, in the East coming, if it, it was, if it was a healthy Bucks team, I think they beat that Bucks team too. I don't, like, I don't think, you know, they're, they're losing to anyone. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, yeah. it, it's one of those things. It's, you're right. It's the right time, but also that just, you got to yeah. give them credit. Like they just, yeah, yeah, no, they, they're winning no matter what. Yeah. Um, Great team, man. Does, uh, does AK get like a, does he get like a ring or, I don't, a, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I know former players or players that were on that roster do, but I don't know how it works with GMs. And he's got a picture. And, of the uh, I don't know. Yeah, I have no clue. I have no clue. Uh, but yeah, speaking of building teams, obviously we're we're going to continue talking a little bit about the Bulls because uh, we obviously are a Bulls podcast. Uh, but we're going to focus a lot of our time. Uh, oh. Like probably about 65 percent of the time talking about the Chicago Sky. Yeah, uh, their season has started. They're started up two and zero, but I think they've been about one and three since hmm. the start. Uh, I looked at it right; they're three and three right now. Um, a lot of interesting things happened for them in the off season. Yeah, uh, James Wade made some crazy moves. Or a big crazy move. Uh, we're we're going to get into that. There's obviously a lot of things to talk about with Chicago Sky. And uh, no one better to talk about Chicago Sky than our guy, Stephen Garner, who covers the Chicago Sky for the THGO podcast. But he also does some NBA stuff. He covers the Phoenix Suns for the bright side. But Stephen, uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing sensational, man. I'm blessed. How about y'all, fellas? How y'all doing? Man. We're we're good, man. We're we're living it up, man. As much as we can, we're bright sunny day outside. Yeah, man. It, it, it's funny. The last time we we talked to you, we were feeling good about the sky going back to back potentially, and then they lost in the semis. And now mm-hmm. it's just like a completely like it's just a completely different team. So it's just like it's just amazing, like how like how much turnover really happened that fast, but. How, how quickly things can change, man. Right. How yeah. quickly things can change. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, let's get into it, though. Like, so obviously I mentioned James Wade being aggressive in the offseason. Um, you know, the, the the conversation was, you know, are the, are the sky in a rebuild? Are they, what are they going to do? Are they going to do a long rebuild? Obviously with Candace Car- uh, Parker leaving, um, obviously the sleuth, uh, uh, Courtney Mandersleuth left. Um, yeah, like you know, a bunch of other players yeah. uh, quickly retiring yeah. or taking a year off. I'm not sure if she's officially retired, retired, but like she's taking at least a year off. And you know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of players is decided to you know leave and go elsewhere. And a lot of Sky fans looked at it as like, okay, well, this comes along. We both Sky are going to be bad for a while. You got uh, Ka Kalia Copper. Um, you know, maybe you bring back Azura Stevens. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have picks coming up, some start strong drafts coming up in the next couple of years. But James Wade decides to do a very interesting trade 
where he goes and gets aggressive and gets um, Marina Marbury. And let's let's break down the exact trade. So, like, he gave up Diamond to Shields. He gave up a 23 first, a 24 first, a 24 second, a 24 third, a 25 second. And then also Dallas, the one of the teams that they were in the trade, it was like a 14 trade, I believe. Um, he also has a right to swap a 25 first with the sky. So that's, that's a lot. <laughs> you gave up, you gave up a lot. And obviously you also got that second round pick back from Phoenix for 2024 draft, but you're basically gave, gave up all that, all those assets, all those picks. Now, no, no disrespect to Marina Mabi. She's, she can, she's a good player. But she's not like a star, right? She's not a superstar because yeah. I don't believe she's even made an all-star team. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Show? What were you thinking when that you saw that trade go down uh, about his a bit like? And and then I know he answered like like why why he didn't want to do the what if game. Uh, but like, what were your thoughts on the, the 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 trade and the aggressive nature of trying to continue to do a win now instead of doing that rebuild? So all of Skytown in terms of media members, fans, supporters from a distance, diehard fans, everybody was, well, I would say like 90 to 95% of people were in a frenzy because obviously when you lose five of your six best players from mm-hmm. a rendition that won a championship, literally a season removed from that, you lose all of these pieces that's going to naturally lend itself to a certain level of a uh, gray area in terms of ambiguity for your future in terms of what's the team going to look like? What's the on-court product going to look like? Is there enough time to even put together a feasible roster to try to contend with the likes of uh, other teams that have gotten superstars and have built super teams and all of that stuff? Um, but kind of in, in the midst of all of that, the thing I was sticking with with everybody was that Everybody understands who James Wade is. And with that, you should know that he's not going to be intentionally losing. Like that's, that's just not going to happen. That's not, he's not built that way in the, in the slightest bit. So knowing that, I think it was rather obvious that obviously he had work to do with them doubling as not just the head coach, but also the general manager. So he was going to have to do his due diligence in building his roster um, with pieces that can fit for his system and then um, trying to fill out the rest of the roster uh, with top-end talent if he could, uh, from what he could find. And I think it speaks a lot to the direction that he felt like this team could still go by the fact that he was able to and willing to give up so much compensation pick-wise and player-wise and getting other teams involved to get a talent the likes of Marina Mabry, especially because she was a restricted free agent. So restricted free agent meaning that obviously the team that she was on had the rights to her first. And if they decided not to match or XYZ and ABC, then she would be attainable for another team. But there's a lot of loopholes to go through when trying to attain a restricted free agent. So the fact that he was confident enough to go into those uh, discussions, those negotiations, and to be able to execute it, that speaks to his level of confidence. And obviously himself, he's never been shy on confidence, but also in Kalia Copper. I think if... He wasn't sure that she could be the best player on the team. He might not have made that trade. If he didn't feel like he could compete against anybody in the W with her as the as the franchise player, he probably wouldn't have did that trade. 
So the, that was like an automatic cosign to Kalia Copper being able to ascend from being um, being already an elite player, but never having been the best player on the team because she had players like uh, Courtney Vandersloot and obviously Candace Parker in front of her. And she just obviously off of a like general principle allowed for those two players to be the all-time greats that they are. So the fact that he was able to co-sign that, add Marina Mabry to Kalia Copper, who they have a, they have a good, um, a good synergy with each other in terms of one being a great shooter and, and spacer and the other one being a downhill threat. And then filling out the rest of the roster around there, which I'm sure we'll dive into in a little bit, uh, just speaks to where he's at. And I think he also, he's also confident in the reach that he has overseas. We see a lot of players come up in a surprising fashion to the W, um, not necessarily going through the draft, but via a coach's reach to the leagues overseas. That's how the sky got Emma Meeseman last season, kind of out of nowhere during free agency. And, um, I've been mentioning to people, I, James is heavily, um, connected overseas. He brought Rebecca Gardner in last season, who was a, pri- a surprise to everybody. And she was arguably the best perimeter defender in the W. I think he has he has connects overseas that he's gonna be able to tap into moving forward. So yes, you lose draft pick compensation, but the thing that he's been consistent in saying is that that 2025 first round pick that could potentially be whoever can't help me right now. And there's no telling that the lottery pick is gonna fall in a manner which that helps me going into that season either. So I gotta go with what I know I can obviously have a say so win rather than leaving things to chance. So so yeah, I give it an A plus and I think it's gonna continue to reap its benefits moving forward. I, I love seeing these Chicago general managers make these mm-hmm. these aggressive, mm-hmm. ballsy moves, man. Like they I, I love seeing it, man. It, it's interesting if anything. Like mm-hmm. going going back to, to Copper, so far in like the first six games, you you mentioned it, it's an adjustment because she hasn't had to this is really her first time, like being really the face of the franchise and and, mm-hmm. and being the, the being that go to player. Like, ha- have you noticed anything different about her approach to the game so far? Like how she's like how how she's playing in the lineup so far? Like how she's really handling that transition transition as she becomes really the number one option, like by far. Absolutely. She's already um, shown to be more vocal than she was in uh, renditions past. So for for context for people that might not know or anything like that, the Sky won the 2021 WNBA championship and Kalia Copper was the finals MVP. She was the best player in moments, but she's now going to be tasked with being the best player more often than not rather than picking her spots. And I think that's one of the biggest things in terms of a transition in her role from being an elite player that's playing a role for the team to being the absolute best player on the team and a franchise player. And so in that, she's taking on a lot more accountability in terms of leadership, setting the tone for the team, being an example, an example for all of the new players coming in and continuing to be the piece that's upholding the standard that James Wade has a play, uh, before anybody else. And the buy-in that she's generated via, of course, James Wade's leadership, but her reach as a player and her gravity as a player to be able to reach to different, to different players and relate to different players because she's worked her way up to the status that she has now from the ground up. Uh, even prior to the trade where she came from the Mystics to the Chicago Sky. So she has a level of relatability and a reach that, and a voice that definitely, uh, catches the attention and resides extremely well with the players on the rest of the roster. And we're already seeing her leadership grow and grow positively, uh, in these first handful of games. Nice. 
Yeah, no, I, I think she's so like uh, I, I love the intangibles that she really plays with. Like I, I think she still has that in her game, and it's gonna be really interesting to see like how she continues to like grow as a player, like as we go on the season. Because I think this is a really big opportunity for. Her. Um, mm-hmm. Do you like in in terms of like building around her? Like, h- how else do you see this team like? Like what else? Like whatever room for like I guess like grow for build is there to to complement her game as the sky go go through the season? Like what what would you say are like maybe some needs that the team would has to really continue to like enhance what she does? So using Kalia as the template for everything, she is the absolute by far, and this. You can't even compare anybody. She's the best driver of the basketball in the WNBA. And in that, she's still growing. Like, she, she was able to be the 2021 Finals MVP, uh, almost playing at one speed. And the fact that from that season to last season and even more so into this season, she's starting to, to blend in different pace changes, playing at multiple speeds, throwing hesitation dribbles and counters in to gain le- gain leverage, getting downhill and then getting to the basket. And then it's not even just straight line drives for her anymore. She's getting into Euro steps. Her deceleration is unbelievable. She's playing off of two feet, throwing in pump fakes and pivots, uh, kind of similar to how people see DeMar DeRozan operate at times. Mm. Like she's just so good and she's still barely scratching the surface of her true potential, in my opinion, which I think is going to be a bona fide um, MVP candidate season in and season out. Um, so seeing her just continue to evolve and seeing all that she's becoming, in addition to her also being a, a more than above average shooter, I think people always think of her as, as a slasher, which is what she is at, at her foundation. But she can most definitely shoot. They have a handful of players that they run where she's shooting off of pin downs and she's shooting off of flares where she gets her feet set and she's knocking it down from the opposite or from the slots or the 45s on the wings and things like that. So she has an all-around game. And she's um, she says she's focusing on uh, being able to play make off of her threat as a scorer more this season. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that we're watching for more. But in a, independent of her, just looking at the pieces around her, which was your question, mm-hmm. I think the thing that they need to focus most on is adding shooters. Because with the player that has the gravity that she has to where even if she hasn't even made a move yet, she's already attracting the attention of multiple defenders. Having shooters spaced around the floor, they can do more than just shoot, of course, but the main thing being able to knock down jump shots off of uh, pressure points that she's able to hit, i.e. Marina Mabry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the that's the that's the archetype that they should be trying to find. And honestly, I think James Wade especially for players that aren't as well-known, uh, like a Morgan Birch or Alana Smith who knocked down five three-pointers yesterday or four three-pointers yesterday. Um, those are the type of players that you need around a player like Kalia Copper, and it's only going to grow uh, more obvious that those pieces fit as these games grow more meaningful. But surrounding her with shooters and then also looking at the defensive end because with Kalia, she's not just an offensive weapon. She's a damn good defender and she's one of the best perimeter defenders in the W. Having a bunch of dogs around her that can also scrape together the type of scrappy efforts and activity levels that she's able to exude on a defensive end as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Building around her is going to be vital and building around the right way is going to be vital. And obviously we talked about Trade for Marina uh, Madri uh, and her 
mentioned her fit with Kai there as, as a shooter. Like, what else do you see Marina doing that could fit seamlessly with Kai? And what else she could provide for this Kai team as this season goes on? And obviously, what their long term plans are, or Wade, James Wade's long term plan, uh, plans are to build this team. So, what Marina brings is elite, elite, elite shooting, elite spacing, and uh, very good decision making uh, for the most part on offense as well. So f- with Marina, I think a perfect case study was yesterday against the New York Liberty. The Sky lost that game by one. However, the way that her being Marina and Kalia Copper kind of play off of each other is such a weapon for this team that they've they haven't even scratched the surface on what that could potentially become as a tandem. Um, so kind of looking at Kalia Copper as the focal point, a handful of times Kai was able to either make a play or she was able to get to the basket or even hit uh, Marina because Marina's being stashed one pass away from whatever primary action might be going on. Whether Kalia's getting into a dribble handoff or she's getting into a pick and roll or she's uh, just getting into a general isolation. She's going to attract the attention of two. And that extra defender, if Marina Mabry is one pass away, is going to be a flux. They're going to have to have a decision to make. And whichever decision they make, the contrasting one is going to have harsh and uh, stark consequences to pay. Because if you add that extra attention to Kai, she's more than able to and capable of making a timely and accurate um, pass to somebody that's going to pass away. And Marina has one of the quickest triggers in the W, and she can knock that thing down from range. And vice versa, if you decide to err on staying solid and not helping too much off of Marina Mabry, guess what? Now you just open up two lanes for Clea Copper to choose whether she wants to go with the left side or the right side. And she's obviously as elusive as anybody with the live dribble in the WNBA. So, like, those little interpersonal dynamics that kind of mesh with each other and compromise the defense at the same time is just what really makes that tandem just good. And like, even if you take Marina from being one pass away and you stash her on the second side where a low help is going to have to come in to help on the Kalia Copper-driven uh, action, she's able to still attract attention and kind of put the defense in situations where there's decisions that have to be made and Obviously, you don't have enough time in the game to pause it and think about it. As soon as it's in read and react, they're doing the opposite of what you decide to do, and that's how they dictate within the half court. Uh, so I think they have so much that they can do as a tandem. Like, for example, uh, this was two games ago, um, last uh, Sunday against the, the Dallas Wings. The Sky won that game at home, but for the first time, and this kind of speaks to them scratching the surface of their tandem play. I saw them and I actually threaded it on Twitter a little bit. Um, I saw those two screening for each other. And with those two screening for each other, typically one of them has a smaller defender on them and both of them can post up. So what they were going into was just a little bit of a pistol action where one would screen for the other in the empty corner and then it would kind of flow out of that. Whichever one had the smaller defender on them would just walk their matchup to the post and they would go to work in the post with a quick, uh, just a quick isolation play like that. And just like little things like that within their offense, just to take full advantage of the all WNBA weapons that they have is something that's going to continue to be a weapon for this team. And they can expand upon that with the other talents that they have on the roster. Yeah, love that. Yeah. So one of, one of the things like we, we talked about. So we, we talked like in depth about like Copper and Mabry and like how they fit and like what they've done so far and their upside going forward and kind of like mm-hmm. going back to like the surrounding pieces because like one of the players I think that has 
like gradually gotten more like time over the last couple of years since uh, coming to the sky is Dana Evans. Mm-hmm. And, and so now she's kind of like in a position now where she can get like a lot of opportunity. So I've been waiting for the Dana Evans breakout, man. I thought it was last year. I think I was a little bit too early. Can is it is it this year? Like, is this the year that like Dana Evans it, it, like becomes a thing? Like, w- what do you think about like what she's done so far? Like, do do you feel like real confident in her development? Can she be like a long term fixture for this team? Like, can she be like like the the head of like kind of those complimentary players around Copper and Mabry? Like, what what's your thoughts on her? Yes, absolutely, one thousand percent. Dana is she's that chick for real. Mm-hmm. She is really that girl. Uh, she's such a such a dog. I smile talking about Dana because she plays with so much heart, right? And you could tell, like you could tell when players on a team really love a teammate, and they not just love them as a person, but they love what they bring to the to the fold as a as a talent. Mm-hmm. And that's the energy, that's the that's the gravity that Dana has as kind of an ancillary player uh, for the time being, that is. Yeah. I think long-term, her potential is definitely as a starter and potentially a starter on the contending team uh, because she's just such a weapon. I think it would, be, it would be remiss if we didn't start with Dana, speaking on the defensive side of the ball, because this season she's just been so, so good, so connected, so uh, just – just chaotic with her activity at the point of attack. Yeah. Um, she, I mentioned it uh, earlier in the season after like maybe their second or third game, but she, I really do in terms of looking at film and watching players um, play to their strengths defensively. I don't think anybody in, across all of basketball, me in the men's side, college, uh, NBA, overseas, I don't think I've seen anybody in the basketball that does a better job of covering the ball, pressing up 94 feet with uh, no help. So whenever you watch the Sky game, you'll see her pressing. As uh, soon as the Sky scores, a dead ball situation, she's up and she's in her matchups grill right away. Uh, and what she's doing is, and I've asked her about this a couple times, and she's kind of giving me some insight to her perspective and what's kind of going through her mind in those moments. She's just trying to get one or two turns uh, of the ball handles, making them change directions before crossing the half-court line. Mm. Obviously, you get eight seconds to do so. So the closer she gets that to eight seconds means that that's less time that they have to work in their half court. So in addition to bringing the ball up the floor and getting it across the eight second line, now you have to get into your offense if you're initiating offense. And if everything gets scripted based off of time and you're starting with less time, that means that you're going to have to speed up all your actions that you're running. Or Mm. that means that you're only going to be able to get into one action. And the Sky defend first actions as well as any team in the WNBA. I would put money on them being the best at defending an initial action, uh, regardless of what player uh, player personnel matchups and things like that a team might be able to put together. So with that in mind, when she comes in the game and she's bleeding away that first seven to eight seconds of the shot clock, and now a team is starting their first action with 16 seconds, if she hasn't already forced them to lose their dribble multiple times, which she's done, I don't know how many times at this point this season, she's putting the defense in the advantageous situation already. And now you got players like Rebecca Garner when she gets back healthy or Kalia Copper that's on the wing and playing in denial. They're able to do what they do best and making things tough on the wing, top locking, locking and trailing, playing heavy denial in the passing lanes. Or you got somebody like Elizabeth Williams and Morgan Birch and Alana Smith who if they're setting a screen after they get across the timeline with, uh, with Dana, they're hedging out. So in addition to her flattening out the attack at the point of attack, now you got all of these other things going on that are just consistently keeping the offense 
in a compromising situation with the clock bleeding down on him on top of that. Mm-hmm. And I think all of that starts with her and the defensive dominoes fall in accordance to how much pressure she's putting on the ball at the point of attack. And she's just so good. So good. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to make sure we talked about the defense before we get to yeah, the offense. No, no, I, I love hearing that. I mean, she, she, she's a killer on defense, man. Like, I, I, I've just been really so interested in her development. Like, I liked her game in college. So, like, seeing her get more opportunity going forward in the mm-hmm. WNBA has just been, like, really fascinating to me. So, um, yeah, like, her defensive impact, like, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, we're making, like, almost a Bulls, like, comparison. Almost kind of sounds like a, a Kirk Heinrich mm-hmm. is prime mm-hmm. type of mm-hmm. <laughs> ability. <laughs> Yep. yep, I think that's a fair comp for her. Uh, just the level of activity she plays with, she has a she has a certain level of uh, reckless abandon about her too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that really indifferent it differentiated um, Heinrich because he he didn't care about breaking his nose, going for a loose ball, flying in the stands, um, and stuff like that. And Dana has that to an extent as well. Uh, we've seen her lay out. We've seen her flying into the first the, the first row of uh of fans, almost knocking knocking fans over and stuff like that. Uh, that's all like the little things that she consistently nails, and uh, she's such a leader in that role as well. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see her galvanizing the troops in a sense. Uh, if you want to look more current, she has a lot of Alex Caruso in her, the way that she defends and how much of a pest that she can be, even in like a mismatch situation where you think it's going to be advantageous because of the height differential or whatnot. And she's able to kind of neutralize a lot of that with her activity and her willingness to give up her body to take a charge or get in position to um, to um, to deny high when she's in a post-mismatch and things like that. So she's just, she's just so good, man. And she's such a pillar for this team already. And you can kind of see the defense kind of playing off of the energy that she brings. It's going to be interesting to see how she continues to drop the season. Um, so we, we talked about all, obviously, Kalia Copper. We talked about Marina Mabry and, and Dana Stevens and obviously how this team is being built up together. So where, where do you see them finishing this season in the, in this new super team era? And, and to give more uh, clarity to the super teams. So the two teams in, uh, in the league that have really added talent in New York Liberty and uh, the Las Vegas Aces. So the Liberty. They have Brianna Stewart, John Quell Jones, Courtney Vandersloot, and Sabrina Ionesco. Uh, now the Vegas, Las Vegas Aces have Asia Wilson, uh, Candace Parker, Chelsea Plum, Jackie Young, and Chelsea Gray. So mm-hmm. that's those are squads. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that, that, those are those are scary squads, man. So like how how do we see this team? Competing, obviously not necessarily with those teams because they're not going to be able to compete with those teams. But just overall in the league, like can they push for a playoff spot? Um, are they maybe a year away for that because they're still trying to you know build their identity? Uh, wh- where do you see them landing as the season goes on? Honestly, you can call me crazy, but I think there's a template enough if the sky are hitting at their most optimal level of play. I feel like, especially again, this is obviously health, um, health, uh, dependent. They're not healthy right now. Mm. But if they can keep all their pieces in tow healthy and they can hit the potential, uh, peaks that each player can individually and, uh, in accordance with one another, I honestly do think that they can compete with, uh, the New York Liberty or the Las Vegas Aces. Uh, we just saw them yesterday compete with a, a completely healthy New York Liberty team, and they only have like six of their top eight or five of their top eight players that they're expecting to have 
uh, in their main rotation. Um, Rebecca Gardner was out. Morgan Burst was out. Uh, Kalia Copper got hurt. She ended up coming back, but she missed a, she missed a stretch of play. Um, and then Isabel Harrison hasn't played all season, and she's a piece that's going to be extremely integral. That's supposed to be their starting four. So they have pieces that are playing out of position at the moment. And um, even um, – um, they just they just don't have like their full team intact right now just because of injuries, and they were still able to like obviously no moral victories, especially for a team that just won a championship uh, two seasons ago now. But the fact that you're able to compete with a team that's a super team that's completely healthy in a situation like that, to where you had a lead for a good majority of the game in the waning moments, mm-hmm. and it just kind of out executed you in the end off of uh, just the the general uh, volume of bodies that they had in comparison to yours. I think that says a lot about where your team is. And so just kind of in that alignment of alignment of thought, uh, long-term, I do think this guy can't compete with those two teams. I don't think they'll necessarily finish with a better record than the Las Vegas Aces in the regular season because they have more um, kinks to kind of iron out and different things like that with rotations and uh, scheme and still figuring out an identity in a sense on the offensive end. Whereas the Aces know what they're doing for the most part, and they're just ingratiating two new talents um, into, their, into their fold of talent that they already have. But um, I think this guy can finish. They can finish top three in the W. Mm. Uh, I'm st- I'm still not sure. I'm still not sure that the New York Liberty are gonna finish with a top a top two record. I know that's what everybody's predicting, and I'm not gonna say people are wrong for that. But I do feel like they have a lot of things that they're gonna have to figure out. Um, a prime example of that being them having one of the most uh the most skilled players in the W and Hanju. That's a, that's their center that was starting for them uh, for a significant stretch of last season. She hasn't really been played this season, and there's like different roles and different different things with lineups and schemes that they're gonna have to figure out. I feel like it's gonna be uh, wider in volume than the sky have to figure out, and there's gonna kind of be growing pains within that. So I'm not sure if the Liberty will finish like top two or top three. But obviously, they're gonna be a problem for anybody in the playoffs, but I do think there's room for where a team like the Chicago Sky or the Washington Mystics, or the Connecticut Sun could potentially finish with a better record than the Liberty. And that'll kind of throw off the matchups in terms of uh, postseason play, um, in terms of looking at the standards and things like that. But I do think the Sky will finish with a top-five record, and I think there's uh, they have upper mobility and potentially finishing top two or three. Okay. Um, this ace hey, man, if they, can, if they can be competitive this, this season, man, it will be uh, – at least it will give them a piece of – Give the fans uh, something to look forward to as far as you know continuation of this of building a scene. Mm-hmm. I agree. And uh, before we transition, there was a couple more names I wanted to mention, uh, especially for people that might be kind of new to some of the players that have come through for the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first of which on that list being uh, Courtney Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people, some people may have heard of Courtney Williams for her off court things that she may have had going on when she was younger and whatnot. Uh, I I tend to believe a lot of that stuff was stemming from a lack of leadership in the situations, being the teams that she was a part of. Those issues do not persist, and those issues do not reside with the Chicago Sky. And you have a player with the the talent and the IQ that she has and the athleticism that she has. You add her to the mix with the Marina Mabry, with the Kalia Copper, with the James Wade as the head coach and general manager, and the leadership and accountability that comes with this system that he has in place. I feel like it's almost like the, like the San Antonio Spurs. They go and get a 
player like Steven Jackson, and Steven Jackson is a <laughs> he's a, a a gold standard civilian and citizen when he's with them. Like that's the type of accountability that their system has uh, with the Chicago Sky. Hmm. Um, and I think a player like Courtney is is extremely vastly underrated, and she's really showing a lot of her skill in this early portion of the season. Uh, a lot of things that she's done on the defensive end, uh, Sky fans should be familiar with because she did a lot of what we saw last night against Courtney Vandersloot. When she was a member of the Connecticut Sun last season, she did two Courtney Vandersloot last night. She held her to, I think, two points at halftime, and she ended up finishing with an okay stat line, but it wasn't the Hall of Fame stat line that we've come, grown accustomed to seeing from Courtney Vandersloot. And a lot of that came from Courtney Williams and the activity and the IQ that she plays with on defense. And then transitioning to the offensive end, her IQ and playmaking is unbelievable. We talk about Brianna Stewart. She's arguably the best defender in the WNBA, and she's arguably the best player in the WNBA. She does a lot of stuff in terms of her scheme versatility, playing at the level of the screen, hedging out, sending double teams, switching, uh, playing drop. Courtney had her on a string yesterday. Every time she made a decision with uh, whatever cover she was going with, she was instantly hitting the automatic uh, reaction button, whether that be hitting a pocket pass, stretching out the double team, and then hitting the pass to somebody else on the second side, driving her hedges and getting around the corner and compromising the defense uh, underneath that. Her playmaking processing was unbelievable yesterday. So I wanted to make sure that people understand what Courtney Williams is doing because she's putting together an amazing season right now. And if I'm not mistaken, she might be leading the WNBA in clutch points on the season uh, at this point, yeah. which speaks a lot to the level of play that she's at right now. She's a, she's a great, um, great passer. Yeah, she's yeah. Un- unbelievable. Yeah. Just the... You can always tell how good of a passer somebody is when they're under pressure and the, the composure is there. Like, you don't see them fumbling the dribble. You don't see them kind of just reacting. They're still dictating. And I think that's the mark. You see, for example, with Nikola, Nikola Jokic. Mm-hmm. You send two to the ball with him. He's just as composed as if he's going one-on-one with somebody. And uh, Courtney Williams has a lot of that in her with the live dribble. And I think that's especially for an undersized guard. That's a weapon that you have to have to be elite. And she has that in abundance in addition to her ability to knock down shots from the yeah. mid-range look let me let me ask you this real quick too um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Mason's kind of getting away from the sky a little bit but like i still think it's interesting overall with this with this current wnba season like especially how salim like you know talked about like the super teams and you know the sky team has mm-hmm. had such a an overall like shift in like how they're building and like with, with a lot of new faces and, and whatnot uh like next year's draft it, to me, like it seems like one of the more interesting like drafts, potentially like in WNBA like history, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but like you, you have Caitlin Clark, mm-hmm. Angel Reese, mm-hmm. uh, Paige, like mm-hmm. that's three like, and, and depending on like how Paige can like bounce back from these injuries, but like those are three players who are like uniquely talented and potential like superstars there Mm -hmm. like how with with everything going on in the in the WNBA season with all these storylines about super teams and like that aces team is loaded but like how does this draft like because in the in the NBA when there's a draft like that and it's usually hanging over like people's heads like you see all these teams tanking and you know Mm -hmm. there's, there's so much talk about it how do you view this draft in terms of like the role that it's playing that it could play in this WNBA season. Like, do you think there are teams that are like 
we got to get Caitlin Clark because she is all world just good, like just generational. Like, what role do you think this this draft could potentially play this season? So i I don't feel like the uh, the tanking is nearly as um, yeah. abundant as it is on the men's side of basketball. Partially because there's only so many teams. There's only 12 teams in the W. So if you're doing it, it's going to be a lot more obvious, of course. Um, but I do think that this draft, it doesn't necessarily have a stranglehold on the process for um, like teams that might be lower in the, um, in the ranks for this season. It's obviously in the back of their minds. But it generally feels like teams are still trying to compete. They're in a in a sort of let the chips fall where they may type of um type of manner, rather than kind of folding for a season and uh, things like that. And I think that kind of speaks to where the W is in terms of its evolution as a as a product as a whole, mm-hmm. to where they're not necessarily in a position where they can have teams that are tanking uh, intentionally or things like that for draft pick compensation and whatnot. Uh, and then also, with them trying to continue to expand, of course, expansion is going to start with uh, local support for teams and then kind of branching out from there, spreading across the, across the league. So there's really no room for them to do that. But I do think that this draft does, is definitely has a um, – it definitely has an impact to some capacity for teams where we might not necessarily see it through these first five or six games for teams, but later on in the season when you start seeing that difference in um and um different tiers within the league starting to starting to unfold, we might start seeing it a little bit more. But I generally don't get that sense that teams are obviously losing on purpose or anything yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah. But yeah, that's a great that's a great question though for sure because it's it's generational talent after generational talent and that's rare for a draft. Yeah, it, it's it, it, like I, I you don't really see a whole lot like it. So like you know even the teams aren't like tanking like you know mm-hmm. a, a team like the the Storm or uh like I think the are the Lynx like zero six right now like. A team mm-hmm. like them mm-hmm. might just be like, you know what? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and with those two teams, like, for example, the Lynx, they just lost Sylvia Fowles. Yeah. Uh, of course, she retired. She's an all-time great. Uh, we eventually heard that Maya Moore ended up retiring. That's another all-time great. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're in, like, unique situations. And then for the for the Seattle Storm, they just had Sue Bird, potentially the greatest point guard of all time in the W side and one of the greatest in basketball ever. She just retired, and then Brianna Stewart left for free agency uh, for New York for the New York Liberty. And then, in addition to that, they lost one of their other key pieces from last season, and Gabby Williams, who was also a member of the Chicago Sky yeah. a handful of seasons ago. They lost her to the prioritization rule, where she erred on playing for her national team over in France rather than coming over to the W for this season. So, like, they're in peculiar situations that kind of lend themselves to those teams being lower in the ranks just because they lost such great talents at the top end that they weren't able to replace, of course. Mm. So so I think situations like that kind of suggest that they'll end up being in the mix for those uh, for those looks. But even at the same time, watching those teams play, especially knowing their, knowing their two coaches, um, they're, they're, definitely not, uh, they're definitely not in the business of losing on purpose in any capacity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's... This overall like WNBA season to me is just like mm-hmm. it's definitely one of the more like interesting ones, especially coming off like the heels of what I thought was like a phenomenal women's college basketball season. Like the storylines yes. that are carrying over, and then just the the stakes that are so transparent throughout the seat. Yeah, like it, mm-hmm. the league is in a great place right now, and I, I'm just loving what I'm seeing. So 
Yo, hopefully, yeah, hopefully women's basketball in general is in a yeah. great place now, yeah. man. So hopefully the sky mm-hmm. are like they're living up to your mm-hmm. prediction at the end of the season, and hopefully they are challenging with with some of these uh, great teams at the end. Mm-hmm. I really do think so, and then I like like you mentioned with the with the drafts and everything. Obviously, it's relevant. I'm not gonna like yeah. shoo it away like as if it's <laughs> nothing, but I do think yeah. that the reach that James Wade has overseas is gonna be it's gonna be a a, a, a well known factor or dynamic somewhere down the line. It might not necessarily be next season, but it might be the season after that. Mm-hmm. But he's gonna have a piece or two that's gonna come in that's gonna be not necessarily league changing in the sense, but extremely impactful for his team in terms of uplifting them to. Um, that elite status that we've drawn accustomed to his team teams producing in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. You know, we'll, we'll see how the Sky team does this season and as they continue to figure out their, you know, chem, uh, fit and get a little more healthy, uh, as you put it, uh, Stephen. Um, mm-hmm. On the other side of town, uh, we have uh, the Bulls who, you know, they've, they've, they didn't have a good season. A lot of you know, they, they, they lost one of their most important players, uh, essentially what seemingly looks like a career-ending injury and Lonzo Ball, and they've had a lot of frustrations and they have a lot of decisions to be made this offseason, uh, namely the one big decision being, do you go ahead and bring back Nikola Vucevic, uh, Vucevic, I should say. Uh, the, currently, the talk is they are negotiating a contract extension and trying to see, you know, obviously if they can if they can come to an agreement. Uh, a lot of the conversation with Navuch is becoming obviously what the what you gave up for him as far as assets are concerned. You gave up obviously Wendell Carter Jr., who who's a good young center, starting center, who's gonna be, you know, probably a good starting center for a long time in this league, but the biggest issues were giving up those two uh high lottery picks that you know, really, that's what that's what really became the backbreakers for this trade. But now you're looking at who again, Vooch is good, but is it considering the lack of assets, lack of uh, opportunity to add via cap space? Um, does it make sense to continue with big three and bring back Vooch in an extension? So, what are your thoughts on Vooch as well as far as his their you know, talking to him about bringing him back as far as going forward. And like, do you, do you also think like this big three or do you, what are your thoughts I should say on this big three, what they should do with the big three in general? I was of the mindset that they should have traded one of those three prior to the trade deadline of, of last season. Um, and I felt like the most obvious piece that they were supposed to have traded at that moment was Nikola Vucevic. His stock wasn't his stock wasn't necessarily low. It wasn't as high as it could possibly be either. But it also wasn't low. He was playing fairly well in his role for this team, even though he wasn't being used as optimally as he possibly could be. But that's a whole other topic for another podcast. Um, but I felt like he was the he was the candidate that they were supposed to try to trade, and um. The, the post trade deadline conversations from, um, from AK, the whole press conference thing, it was just, it's, it, it reeked of, um, being out of touch mm-hmm. from my, from my perception because a player like Nikola Vucevic is a, a floor space in five. His value is going to be a lot higher in the middle of the season than it is going to be in the summer because teams are having pressing needs that they're trying to address in the now. 
and not having that many options available like free agency that you have to deal with if you're going to try to do a signing trade or something like that during the summer. Um, so with his contract expiring and just him having these moments where he was like out of touch with the rest of the team in times and even after the deadline, we saw those moments grow a little bit more, uh, a little bit more obvious with his uh, getting into it with uh, Patrick Beverly and things like that. Mm. I think he was a piece that should have got traded at the deadline. And now you're kind of in this situation where you're in limbo. Should we sign him? Should we try to sign and trade him? Which we know sign and trades are the most difficult to execute of any type of transaction because you have to get agreements from multiple parties. You have to make sure that they're in a position with their salary cap to make it work financially and all these other different hurdles and whatnot that you have to deal with. Mm. Uh, so they've kind of made this bed that they have to lay in and now they're kind of in flux. Uh, I'm of the mindset that they should just bring him back at this point because you're probably not going to get much for him uh, if you do try to do a signing trade or you're not going to get at least what you're expecting or hoping to get back in return. Uh, just kind of give it another test, see what it's like up until this upcoming trade deadline and then see what you could potentially fish or net in return for him this time around going about it the right way. Yeah. Um, but I just... I just dislike that they're even in this situation at all just because I feel like they should have handled their business at the deadline. So yeah. so that's kind of where I'm at with the Bulls and Vucevic specifically. Yeah. And also prayers up to Lonzo Ball, man. I, I've i been through my fair share of injuries, and uh, they're no fun. That's a lonely place to be in in terms of the road to recovery. And I'm speaking for as a as just a general athlete. This dude is a multimillion-dollar athlete um, that loves basketball. I just can't even imagine, you know, the the many different things that he's going through mentally uh, through this stretch, especially for a player that was so good and he hasn't he hadn't even hit his potential yet. Mm. I don't want to speak on it as if he's done because I truly do hope that he is able to come back, but I hope that he's at, at least afforded that opportunity in the future. Yeah, we definitely wish that he he can be back for sure. It's just one of those situations with him. It's you look at the 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 surgery that he had. And the recovery time frame for that surgery is 16 to 24 months. And, um, like a lot of the athletes that have gotten, like, I think that, like, they've been able to come back and just be like physically be okay, but like they, they're not able to like compete at that level anymore. The, the so it sucks, time. right? Yeah. Lonzo, not only a great player to watch, uh, a great player himself, but such a fun player to watch and, and just a good dude. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing to dislike about Lonzo Ball. That's on and off the court, like so. It's it's it sucks. It sucks to mm-hmm. to see that that uh, this young kid, who like you said, he still had potential to get getting better on, on on certain aspects of his game, and he was already elite as a became elite as a defensive player. Uh, you know, he probably would have been first team All Defense last season if he had st- was able to stay healthy. Um, obviously, his shooting, the what he's been able to do with a shot since coming into the league. Um. Yeah, like a high field player that you just lose for nothing. It's it's tough for sure. The the recovery time is sixteen to twenty four months. Is that what you said? Right. Yeah, sixteen to twenty four months. And like I said, you know, I, I think he's done as a bull for sure. And if he tries to come back, he'll be it'll be for unless the Bulls bring him back like on a minimum deal or like. Something like that, or maybe, or another team that wants to, you know, take a shot to see if he can, if he can continue. But I, I just, man, I just, I like I said, I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I get the feeling like, you know, we just the last we've seen, unfortunately, Alonzo Ball 
Yeah. Um, like I said, at the minimum as a bull. Yeah. No, that – yeah, yeah. Prayers up to Lonzo Ball. And like Steven said, like, I, I can't even really imagine, like, what's going – like, going through his mind, like, right now if just – you know that that recovery time and just everything he's been through the last couple of years because like like you said he he just started really finding his rhythm in the NBA I think like he 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 transformed his shot he's become such like such a great defender one of the better perimeter defenders in the NBA underrated playmaker and he fit this team like a glove like he was really the ingredient to making all of this work and we got to see that for a half a season until the injury happened. And it, it, it just sucks that, like, it's going down like this and that he potentially may not get to play at the level that he's been playing at for the last couple of years. Like, I mean, he, he works he worked really hard to get to this point. But, yeah, when you hear 16 to 24 months, you're just like, oh, my God. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And he had just found the the situation that was most optimal for him. Yeah. Like y'all both mentioned, him being that glue piece, that connecting piece for the Bulls. Man, it's just it's just tough, especially to see how well he was playing. Mm. And he hadn't even really scratched the surface of what he could potentially be for like for the team. Like, of course he hadn't reached his peak as a player, but his impact for as a bull hadn't even reached his full potential yet either. He didn't even get a chance yeah, to fully healthy Zach Levine. Like, man, it's just it's just just so much, man. So much. Yeah. So much. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully he hopefully he's afforded that opportunity through through hard work and hopefully with the graces of the surgery guys to get him back to where he needs to be to play. Um but like like Salim said, I'm not sure if it's gonna end up being as a bull. Just given the recovery time, and not just—I mean, not the, yeah, just the recovery time, but also the ramp up to actual basketball activity. Yeah, like it's one thing right. to go to rehab and do all of this other stuff that's not basketball related, even like running, like all of that stuff is cool. But what about when you have somebody that's on your left shoulder and you're trying to bend the corner and turn the corner? Like, where's your comfortability, comfortability going to come from with that? So getting back to that after those 20, 16 and twenty-four months, getting into actual basketball activity. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, like trust know. And then don't even forget about the feel of the game because when you haven't mm-hmm. competed in that long of a time, that's going to be like, mm-hmm. what, three years since he's competed mm-hmm. at that high mm-hmm. of a level? That takes away from you, too. So that's a that's his of biggest getting weapon. that back. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, it's just, man, it's, I hate, I hate it. And talking about it just gets you so mm-hmm. down because, like I said, everything with Lonzo, it's not only about his game, well, uh, just the, the fact that he's such a good dude too—that it just—it just, mm-hmm. it just t- it's tough to like have that conversation and, and knowing what he could have been, still been in this league. Like mm-hmm. you saw, like defensively, the way he developed last season, like on like has has a point of attack defender uh, before mm-hmm. last season. Like he still had areas to improve, but last season you saw them take that step as that point of attack defender in the pick and roll game. But then also you saw the elite value he brought as a roamer. Like, mm-hmm. man, it was just it's such a, like I said, and then, you know, it, you, that high field level play, half-court connector, I mm-hmm. think, like, maybe he could have still improved at, as as that pick-and-roll ball handler. Yep. Been a little more of a danger if he could if he could have figured out how to finish better at, at the mm-hmm. rim and be, put more pressure on the rim. Maybe that part of his game could have evolved more. Mm-hmm. Uh, like 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 that. That's been the conversation we've had about him, uh, maybe being a weakness. But man, yeah, that's what it is. Like I said, 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I'm hope, I'm hoping he, whether it's a bull or whatever other team, like I I am hoping that he does get a chance, get an opportunity to play again and and to make some money in this and make some money in this league and showcase his talents. Because yeah, it just he with the with the work he put in, he doesn't deserve to go out like that. So mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Hundred percent. So obviously the Bulls having the issue with the point guard position, uh, searching they, they signed Pat Bev at after the buyout market. Um, but again, going into the off season, they're going to be wondering who their point guard is. And um, I don't know if this is just something that happens every off season because he is Chicago product and he's a former Chicago Bull. But there's always rumors about Derrick Rose uh, potentially returning to Chicago as, you know, someone, I don't know if you, if they would want him to be a starting point guard, but just someone as a veteran to kind of come in and stabilize some of that backcourt opportunity. Um, what are your thoughts on that as far as a Derrick Rose? Um, like, for me personally, I'll say this, like, I just don't see the fit anymore. I mean, no disrespect to Derrick Rose. Like, I, I, I think... With with him, I don't know how much he has left in his game. I mean, maybe there's more there. I, like he did, he was out of the rotation in New York, and granted, he had a couple of, like a quickly in front of him, and 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 then they when they added Jalen Brunson, so it kind of became a situation where uh, are we going to play Derek or are we going to play these guys who are really good? And it's kind of tough to bench these two. You know, obviously you're not going to bench Jalen Brunson. He's he's a star, all star. Uh, quickly, who came around and. Uh, started his development development over the last few years became to a point where it's like, yeah, he's just a really good player. It's hard to take him out of the rotation. Um, so maybe that's why Derek kind of, you know, fell off into the third string because of that. And maybe he still has something to show, but like I said, he wasn't playing. So to me, it's like, I don't know if that's your answer to to try to find a guy at the third string because it kind of feels like a Goran Dragic type situation. Again, I'm not comparing him exactly to Goran because obviously he's younger than I think Goran was at the same stage. But like I said, I just I don't see the fit anymore. But what were your thoughts on the Derrick Rose uh, conversation? Yeah, I agree with your initial statement. It feels like it's something that's just consistently recycled and rehashed and I don't see the fit anymore either. Uh, obviously, this is no slight, no disrespect to Derrick Rose, but I don't think this, I don't think this rendition of the, the Chicago Sky, the Chicago Bulls has, <laughs> I don't think this rendition of the Bulls has a fit for what Derrick Rose could bring. And I'll say that with a caveat because if he is indeed done, what better role for him to play than for him to be essentially the Udonis Haslam with the Chicago Bulls? In terms of holding guys accountable, you know what he did at his peak. You know what he was always uh, capable of on the basketball court. Um, he has leadership tangibles. I mean, leadership intangibles that he can bring to a team that's that's in search of leadership still. And for him to do that in his hometown, like I, I think that would be – obviously, he still wants to play. I'm not sure if the opportunity is still there in terms of competing for a championship, but if he was to latch on to the Bulls as that Udonis Haslam type for his hometown team, I think that's something that the Bulls could greatly, greatly, greatly benefit from. Um, obviously, him being on your team is going to put more seats, uh, put more bus and seats in the United Center. 
people gonna support the brand because they ride hard for Derrick Rose, the hometown kid. Um, and I do see an opportunity for leadership for him, no different than he played for the New York Knicks this season. In terms of keeping that young guys focused on the on court product, understanding what they need from them night in and night out, and how to go about doing it in a professional manner as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, who better for him? Uh, who better for the Bulls than the hometown kid and Derrick Rose to be able to play that role that they've been desperate, desperately looking for in terms of a leader? Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you, and I was gonna be the the only logic I could see in it because like. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like maybe D Rose is kind of like in his last couple of years. So, like, it made me think about like when Scotty came to the t- came back in like oh three oh four just for like that one year, and like I think he maybe played like a quarter of the season. So, like, mm-hmm. is D Rose gonna like you said that Haslam role? Just just suit up, like, be a good vet, like occasionally mm-hmm. play when it's when your number is called, and mm-hmm. you know. Just some goodwill to the fans, and I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, it, I, I'd be, I'd be cool with it. Like, it, selfishly, especially if it leads to like a jersey retirement. Like, it was something mm-hmm. like, like plays into that too. So, um, I, I think, I, I think we're always going to hear about it because I do think that Rose wants to play, or at least be on the roster for the Bulls one more time before it's done. Like, I, I think. Cause I, I could see him just being like, "Yo, this is it. Like, I got one or two more years, maybe. Like, nobody else is gonna play me. Like, he got benched in New York, like, and that's Tibbs. So, Tibbs loves him more than anyone else. So, mm-hmm. is he gonna go anywhere else and get fifteen, twenty minutes a game or a regular role? I doubt it. So, I mean, if not, come back home, be in the United Center for one more year, and mm-hmm. like, go out that way, like." I mean, I, I I would love to see the from Chicago thing one more time <laughs> with D Rose, man. I know they've done mm-hmm. it for everybody else, but that's his stuff. So I, I'd be cool with it for the vetmen. Yeah, why not? But the other thing too is like, do the if the bull, let's say the Bulls still want to do this competing thing with some variation of of I don't know if he'll be the big three in general or mm-hmm. they'll do like they'll trade Demar and try to get some shooting and maybe a pig or something. Let's say whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem then becomes like you need to add more shooting and is it worthwhile to even with the leadership stuff is it worthwhile to add Derrick Rose when you need to make sure you have you right. add a roster spot for a shooter mm-hmm. um, I, I mean I think if anything you want to do is it's like you sign him to when he's choosing to retire you sign him to like what they did with Joe Keem or do a one day contract mm-hmm. I just like I said, I just I really personally don't see like even any angle on symbols are obviously trying to compete in any way, any any realistic way that Derek comes in, just because the all the limited rosters availability and the limited assets uh cap space and everything like that. So it just kind of like yeah, I guess that's where I'm personally at. But yeah, like I mean yeah, I that makes you sense. guys make some some points as well, but it just, yeah, to me, that's why, that's where I see it at. Yeah, no, as I, far as his, I think, I feel you. yeah, I th- like, I don't think you like go out and just like, he's like some priority thing. I think it's just kind of like, depending on how the off season works out, like if you do have like a roster spot and it's like, I don't know, like just some back end guy that's, that's not really going to matter versus D Rose. Like, why not? I don't know. Like, 
I don't know. Like to me, I'm just kind of like with this team. I'm just like, man, <laughs> if I could get someone that like just gives me like if I could just get a feeling, just that feeling back, like you know, C and D rolls on the team. I think that's worth it for me as a fan. You know, like is a GM like building the team? Probably not. But like, I don't know. Like, I, I'd be cool with seeing it. But I, like I said, it, it just depends on like what's the like what player are we talking about versus mm-hmm. and you know whatnot so yeah it, it it wouldn't be any sort of priority but i could definitely see that like if he keeps playing if he's like still trying to play in the league the next couple of years i think we're we're gonna keep hearing it like he he definitely wants to come back i think and he probably wanted to come back before but i i think people were surprised when new york kept him for a little bit longer but yeah not for sure. Yeah. Um, so let, let's wrap up on this. So we've talked about obviously what the Bulls could do with Nikola Vucevic, um, other with other opportunities as far as maybe like I mentioned, you know, if they wanted to trade Demar uh, to change up the shot profile of the team. Um, doing that, obviously, there's big responsibility to decision making and. AK and Mark Eversley, they have a big offseason ahead, regardless of how they want to uh, pursue, uh, go forward, move forward with this team. So, do you think that this is like a make or break offseason for them, like as far as what they do? Because obviously, at this point, not, to not all fault of their own, like obviously, the Lonzo Ball injury, just something that happened that really threw a big wrench in a lot of their plans. But obviously, some they've they've also made moves like trading for Vucevic and off giving up all those assets. Like you know that that big risk involved in doing that trade. Uh, then you then you have to hit on every other move, and obviously they haven't hit on every other move. Um, so what what do you, what do you see with their offseason coming up? Is that like it for them as far as make or break? And obviously, not to say that the front off or ownership will fire them because we know like Jerry doesn't give a damn about that aspect. But just as a, as a, as a fan, when we're looking at this team and we say, okay, man, like we already are completely down on you. And maybe there's some people that are not completely out on them. They might exist. So, but is, is that, that to the point where it's like, all right, if, if you guys don't get this thing right this off season, you're just, we're completely have zero faith. Everyone is pretty much done with you. Uh, I think it's abundantly obvious to all three of us that this team needs infusions of talents and skills that have not, that were not on this team last season. Mm. So with that in mind, in terms of the roster being rather incomplete in terms of how the pieces fit together, the expectations from the pieces, uh, even the standard that's in place from the coach. And speaking of the coach, in addition to the players in the, in the roster, in terms of, uh, the players on the roster and things like that. Looking even more so at the coach. When you co-sign a coach and you extend a coach, um, when there's no deadline in terms of them being entering the final year of a contract and you go out and you do that, I think that's a direct um, co-sign to either believing in that coach that you have, believing in the roster that you have, or believing in the coach and his abilities to do things with that roster. So looking at this, looking at the, the timeline for the Chicago Bulls, uh, you, you extend Billy last, last offseason and you really don't say anything about it. And then it comes up as news about in that second, that second third of the season. Um, 
and then you see kind of what they had on the roster in terms of what is lacking and where they need changes at and where they need additions and whatnot. You have to nail what you're doing in the offseason. To make that, 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 um, to expand upon signing your coach like that, you have to, you have to nail the, the things that you need to add to this roster in the offseason. And this being their second opportunity because they didn't seize the first one in a manner in which they should have with Nikola Vucevic at the deadline. Uh, so yes, I think there's pressure on, there's pressure on this team to do what they need to do in the offseason and add in some more shooting, add in some more skilled, um, and more versatile role players to play around, um, around the top two. Uh, and then figuring out what you want to do with Nikola Vucevic, as we mentioned in the opening on the Bulls, the Bulls related topics. Uh, and just generally and genuinely being more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Being more decisive with what you have going on. It just feels like such a gray area and gray cloud around the Chicago Bulls right now. It's like so, it's like certain factions of Bulls fans, Bulls supporters and the team. It seems like they're confident. And then there's other factions that don't feel like they're as confident or confident at all. <laughs> um, so they have to clean that up and change up the general perception of the Bulls. And I think they have they have their work cut out for them. I'm not going to say it's an impossible task, but there's going to be things that they need to do, uh, little things and big things to get them to where they need to be in that respect, if I'm looking at it from my perspective. Yeah, it's uh... – <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, I still don't know what they're going to mm-hmm. do. So. It's a big question mark, man. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm not even trying to guess it anymore. <laughs> like – like we we've been talking like retool versus rebuild for so long, and at this point mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like, man, my hands in the air. Like I I saw the stuff about them bringing Vooch back, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. hey, why not? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> it's just I don't know. <laughs> I, I it, it's a like you said, it, it's a gray area because they they don't want to lose, they don't want to tank, but mm-hmm. there there's really no path for them to get astronomically better. And like we talked about a bunch of times, this team was unusually healthy last year and mm-hmm. they were still a, they were a playing team with their three best players playing in basically every game and having yep. great help. So it's just, it, it, I don't know. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I don't know what you do. <laughs> you like, I guess you just, you're, you're hoping for a miracle or something. I don't know. <laughs> right, you better hope that Patrick Williams takes that leap that everybody's yeah. been expecting him to take. That's one way for them to kind of expedite this process and getting out of this great area. But, again, yeah, even with I, that, I, the fact that the Bulls aren't fully, fully invested in player development in the way I feel like they should be, uh, that's kind of – again, they're just hamstringing themselves in so many different respects. And I think the more topics we speak on, the more that kind of go, uh, goes into the forefront. <laughs> yeah, and it's like if you one hundred percent, yeah, you're you're one hundred percent right for sure because the that the player development angle has been the biggest frustration on my part because like I've I've said that you're trying to win now, but you're getting these young guys that need certain opportunities to develop their games, and like I said, Patrick Williams being a important factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you're if you're looking to continue to build with the big three, I think you're going to continue to give up on Patrick Williams to develop more because he needs to have the ball in his hands a little bit more, mm-hmm. and you're not going to have get him the ball in his hands more when you have Vooch, Demar, and Zach on the roster with him. So that's why it makes sense. Okay, let's trade Demar at least and get 
more opportunities for bad. And not to say that means the Bulls will be good or better. Obviously, they won't. They'll be a worse team, but at least maybe you can see Patrick developing uh, and see what how much more room he has to grow uh, as as far as his offensive game is concerned. Um, because right now, at least at the very least, you can see that he's a shooter on the offensive end, and obviously he's a plus defender, and that he can continue to grow as a defensive player. But if you want to see that, you know, breakout. If I'm not saying a breakout in a star, but like that, because that's always a tough thing to talk about when guys have been shown a lot in this league, even going into their three, third, fourth season, uh, if you will. But like I said, like if you want to see Pat develop that offensive game, you need to find a way to get the ball in his hand more. Do, mm-hmm. Are you concerned though? Well, maybe not concerned, but like, is there a thought that? Because they're looking at bringing Vooch back, then that means that they're not going to move DeMar. Because, like, I guess to me, I'm like, okay, if you bring back Vooch, then, like, and you trade DeMar, then, I don't know, like, that seems to kind of go against each other in, in a sense. Like, I guess it depends on what you're getting back for DeMar, but I don't know, like, it, the, it, it just doesn't really flow that well to me. Like, I don't know, what, what are your, like, what is, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Uh, I feel like they, if they're not going to trade Vooch, I think they should definitely look at trading DeMar. Mm. And I think you both made great points in opening up usage and opportunity for touches and the ball just generally being in Patrick Williams' hands more. Uh, I do think that there's potential for some overlap in trading DeMar because, for example, one of the trades that we've seen most frequently, most frequently is the trade with the Portland Trailblazers with DeMar, where the Bulls would be getting back anywhere, uh, anybody, anybody else from their roster in addition to, uh, Anthony Simons. And like, okay, so let's say you do that. Hmm. Cool. Anthony Simons has potential, but guess what? He's good off the ball. He's very good off the ball, but he also has to have the ball in his hands a lot. And it's like, how are you going to marry? It's not necessarily as much of a, uh, issue as it will be if you had DeMar, but you still have players that need the ball in their hands more. Mm. And it's kind of like, this is kind of a situation they have to be diligent with if they are going to indeed go about trading for, um, Young roster or young player compensation and pick compensation for DeMar. I don't think they would be wrong to go about it in that respect, but it has to be sensical, uh, at the same time. Like, obviously, a team like Portland will be an attractor for, um, for the services of DeMar, but as it make more sense for your side, if you're going to be sending him elsewhere, um, than it is for what the pieces are that you're kind of getting in return. For sure. And I mean, like, the thing with DeMar, like, when I look at what they would do, and especially what AK said as far as improve, improving the team's shot profile, like, DeMar is the obvious answer as far as trading him because uh, as great as he is, is in that mid-range game, he is a, one of the primary reasons the Bulls' shot profile is what it is. Um, I mean, maybe, like, a team like the Nets, if they're continue, wanting to continue to compete, maybe you can get... Uh, um, a trade where you get one of their picks and one of their like young wings that they I think they have a couple of wings on that roster that maybe you can get in a matching contract. So at least then that opens up shot opportunities for Pat, and you're not adding a high volume usage guy. 
I don't know. Like I said, it just <laughs> it's the it's tough, right? Because the Bulls are mm-hmm. in such a you're in such a bad place like you know uh you're trying to straddle you know, so much like it's just it's so much gray area because you don't you don't want to lose but you you don't have a path to being like significantly better like you can change the play like they, they can change the shot profile of the team they can get more shooters but it's still it's still not a team that it's a team that can play a better style but it's not necessarily a team that is going to be better if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Right. right. Um, I don't know. Like I said, <laughs> it's just one of those things. Like, maybe give us a Dorian Finney-Smith uh, who, like, and for DeMar and a pick. Or Dorian Finney-Smith, a pick, and DeMar. Yeah, DeMar. I, so, I, I don't know. I like the thought. That would be – yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I'm just kind of – Every everything every time I think about the Bulls and what they could do, I'm always like I, I've said this many times. I'm that I'm that Larry David get Jeff where he's kind of just shaking his head. He's like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's just not a whole lot. That's, yeah, it's just okay. I guess mm-hmm. this is a move. It's a move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's yeah. all. You know, you can't can't say it's a good move. It's a move. It's we'll see. Right. We'll, yeah, yeah, it's something. I mean, it's something. shake up. It's a shake up. It's a shake up at the very least. So right. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But hey, Stephen, uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. You are one of the young up and coming writers. You're getting your opportunities, man. You're shining in them. Really appreciate your insights. You are one of the few people that really breaks down the game online, too. Uh, please let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, other social media thing that you might be doing. Obviously, you're you're with CHGO now. Uh, yeah, uh, let us know everything you're doing. Yeah, uh, I, again, I appreciate the opportunity. It's always fun talking hoop with you fellas. So uh, thank you again. I really appreciate y'all allowing for me to uh, spend some time talking on y'all platform with y'all. No, we appreciate. As far it. as for sure, for sure. And uh, as far as as far as me and everything I got going on. Uh, if the simplest way to go about it would be just following me on Twitter because I'm not even going to lie. Sometimes I get lost in everything <laughs> that I got going on, running this marathon of mine, uh, just trying to stay focused on everything. But, yeah, I'm always posting uh, film sessions, clips, and talking about stuff that uh, comes to mind or stuff that I see and breaking down a game on Twitter. Uh, a lot of the videos I post on Twitter I also post to my YouTube page. Um, and all of the links for all of my work, whether that be podcasting, uh, film sessions on YouTube, my written content at multiple platforms. It can all be found at one link, and that's on my link tree. That's in my bio on Twitter. So if you uh, search up my Twitter account, and uh, it's at uh, staytruess.3, S-T-A-Y-T-R-U-E-S-D-O-T, and then the number three. Uh, if you go there, you'll see my link tree in the bio. You can click there, and then it'll be a whole compilation of links <laughs> that you can go to to find uh, the multitude of stuff that I've been speaking on. So, so yeah, again, I appreciate the opportunity for talking with y'all, and I'm looking forward to the next opportunity. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, man. Yeah, no yeah for sure, man. Keep keep grinding, man. Like you're you're you continue to do great work, and and it's paying off for sure. Um, but yeah, appreciate you joining us. Uh, at 
any final thoughts for you? Yeah, man. Again, th- thank you to Steven for uh, for coming on again, man. Always love talking Sky with him. Love talking Bulls with him. Like, just great perspective. He's grinding, just really smart, man, and, and breaking down hoops in a great way. So, uh, thanks to thanks to him again. And yeah, we're uh, we're a few weeks out from the the draft, and like I said, we we don't have any picks, but you know, we're still a few weeks out from the draft, so. Uh, it's something to watch. Something, yeah, <laughs> who knows? Like, Bulls will break the internet. Yeah, and somehow I'll find a way to get Stuart Henderson. Yeah, it's a. <laughs> yeah, it's a. It, 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 it'll be fun, man. Like I, I'm sure at this uh, point, like if the, if the Bulls even just buy a second round pick, there will just be hysteria from Bulls fans, and it'll just be like the biggest thing ever. And talking about like whatever, whatever second round pick, whatever player we draft in the second round, I don't know, but. Um. Yeah, it, it's it's going, man. It's the off season. We'll we'll see what happens. I don't know. I'm not gonna guess. <laughs> I'd just rather be surprised. So, <laughs> I have, watching these playoffs, I've figured out how to fix the Bulls. <laughs> Buy a second round pick, draft the next Nikola Jokic, profit. Yeah. It, and that's it's, it. It's perfect plan. It's a perfect plan. <laughs> I don't know it. how it can go wrong. Yeah, that's it. Look, <laughs> it's every. All you need is an all-time, all-time great player, man. After that, the pieces fall in place, man. So just get that, and you're, you're good. Uh, so yeah, no big deal. You can do it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. But that's a wrap for today's show. If you missed any previous episodes, you can find us under the Barroom Network on all major and minor podcast platforms. Thank you again to Stephen Garner for joining us, and to the listeners for tuning in. As always, for Edward Schuler and myself. Till next time, Bulls fans. Mm-hmm.